1: Welcome back to Administrative Static. We are joined again by our colleague, Greg Dolan, to um, to discuss another amicus brief that we have against the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Um, they're, they're protecting the public against consumer
2: products. What's going on with this, Greg? One would think <laughs> they're protecting the product, the, the public. Thank you, John, for having me again. Um, the Consumer Product Safety Commission is meant to protect the public from um, unsafe product, and that's a laudable goal. But there are several problems. One, uh, as, more, as particularly important to us, is that this commission is simply unconstitutionally structured. Uh, it's a laudable goal to do certain things, but you know we don't have dictators or Roman tribunes. We have a democratic system where people are responsible to elected officials, the president. The Consumer Product Safety Commission is not. And, in fact, in the case where we filed our amicus brief... What's it called? It's uh, Window Manufacturing... Window Covering wind, Manufacturers Window Covering association. Manufacturing Association versus CPSC. So, CPSC promulgated this rule regulating uh, how certain windows coverings have to be manufactured and installed. And the uh, association sued them in the D.C. circuit, challenging the rule... Um, Apparently, the rule is so bad and so questionable that in a now, unusual order, D.C. Circuit actually stated.
1: Well, I guess. So what they're trying to do is stop kids from getting tangled in the in the cords for blinds. Right. But, and this issue was but, there when I was at the but, agency. And... But there is no there is no manufacturer of blinds that has figured out how to make a cord that makes your blinds go up and down that no child in America could tangle himself in, I, I think is the problem. But. But nonetheless, so that's, that's the problem. It isn't like they said, oh, look, here's this technology. You got to use this to make it safe. It's they're saying nothing now makes things safe. So it makes it very hard for them to do. You can't have a cord that's more than
0: eight inches in length. That's right. the particular stipulation that the rule has that is impossible to comply with using the designs that are currently right. existing.
2: And, you know, as we talked about last time I was on the show in a different context when we talked about medical treatment. Uh, I mentioned that medical treatment in every context is a cost-benefit analysis. And so to hear it's not as if by having, even if you could comply with an eight-inch requirement, it's not as if having that requirement necessarily just solves all the problems and, co- and causes no problems. For example, one of the people we talked to in crafting um, our amicus brief mentioned that he has an elderly mother who has these types of blinds behind her gas stove or something. So it's so like, okay, well, if we have eight inches or shorter cord and just to climb on top of the counter to close for blinds. So we may have fewer kids, but more elderly people with broken hips. So it's all cost benefit analysis and CPSC in this case, just looked at the costs of having these cords and not the benefits. So what is the structural problem with the organization? So the structural problem and actually came to really to a head in this case is that we have three branches of government: legislative, executive, and judiciary. And all three branches of government are in one way or another responsible to the electorate. We elect the president. We elect the Congress. Uh, president does appoint. We don't elect judges, but president does appoint them, and there's some sort of natural rotation. Uh, and also, Senate confirm. Senate confirm. And of course, the judges don't set policy. Judges adjudicate specific cases. <clears throat> unlike CPSC. <laughs>
0: on their good days. <laughs> yeah. right,
2: at least, right, on okay. their good days, right?
0: So, this, is, this is a former Judge Dolan here uh, standing up for the judiciary.
2: <laughs> but, Judge Dolan never said policy. No. Sure. Uh, but, um, you, you know, explicitly CPSC or FEC, they're explicitly meant to set policy, right? Judges may go beyond their can and do things they're not supposed to do. That happens with every person in power. But these agencies are explicitly meant to set policy. And yet they're responsible to no one at all. In fact, in this case, there are two agencies, CPSC, saying, well, we need to ban these type of coverings. And we need to have this ban go into effect within six months. They got comments from Windows Manufacturing Association, Windows Covering Manufacturing Association, other uh, interested parties, but also from the Small Business Administration, which is actually another agency within the executive branch, run by a cabinet-level presidential-appointed Senate-confirmed administrator, terminable at will, meaning directly responsible to the president. Cabinet-level, yeah. And CPSC said, eh,
1: we don't care. And it is interesting. The SBA's whole purpose in the government is to actually tell the other agencies things that are going to destroy small businesses. That's their job. And to say, listen, you haven't taken this into account. And so in all administrations, the SBA actually does do that. It goes to these various agencies and says, you know, think about this. But the CPSC, not only did they not not take that into account, they didn't extend the time either. Correct. So they said, here's a technology that's never been invented and you got to invent it in six months.
2: Well, that. but also oh, again, you just have to stop
1: selling right. all and, your product and manufacture that's all, it. That's, oh, all, yeah, that's true. Know. But
2: also whether or not, you know, you could or couldn't do it, what SBA said because the SBA office, uh, is directly responsible to the president, presumably it's a statement of official administrative policy. That's the per- and if we don't like it, if more kids are going to end up injured, we can take it out on Joe Biden next time he comes up. Or vice versa, if more businesses are saved, we can reward Joe Biden next time he comes up. But there's no way to hold CPSC accountable. And so that's the structural problem. Got it. And so what do we ask? What, what do we ask in our brief for? What do we say? So we're not a party to the case. We're an amicus. We're right. supporting people who are challenging. But we're trying to convince the court that the structure of CPC is unconstitutional. And therefore, any rules promulgated by that agency is unconstitutional. And if they want to continue to exist, they must be basically like the Department of Defense, like the Small Business Administration. They must be answerable to the president. If the president thinks that their rules are crazy, he can fire them. So next time Richard Trumka proposes banning gas stoves, instead of having to kind of deal with it and put out the fire on the back end, President Biden can say, you're done. We're going to find somebody else. <laughs> we don't need to hear any more from you. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I got it.
0: Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a choice, right? So the, the CPSC uh, can either stop exercising executive power, that would be okay, or it can stop hiding behind these this protection from removal by the president they need to be at will
1: employees and the fact here that i like because as you know my ftc cases i'm always saying that the justice department takes one view and the ftc takes the other view it's the same sort of thing that goes on and you can't have like a two-headed executive it's it's insane and 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 even in countries that maybe start i can't think of one that still has such a thing but it makes no sense in our system at all and yet we start we see this again and again and the sba one is one i hadn't thought about till this came out because they do often um say wait a second and and it's interesting to me because i i have had experience with the sba telling uh other organizations this sort of thing and those other organizations that now that i think about it are not multi-headed uh non-fireable group they do take into account the energy department, when SBA says this is going to hurt small business, the energy department hops. You know, they, they might go ahead and do it, but they, they at least say, OK, you get more time or we've looked at what the SBA has to say. And here's why we think that it can be accommodated this way or that way. But they don't just go. ah.
2: Well, in part, because both energy secretary of energy and the head of the SBA are answerable to the president. And if they ultimately up at loggerheads, the president can be the decider, but the president can't directly influence CPSC.
0: Now, someone at the White House right. is going to
2: sort that out. Right. And uh, to Mark's point, at CPAC, for example, they want to change their mission and basically become an agency that just writes reports saying this product is unsafe or that product is unsafe and let somebody else, whether it's DOJ or somebody else, take action. That's fine, too. Then they can serve without being answerable to the president. But that, they got to make a choice. Either they become just a report-writing body and advising people what to do and what not to do, or they continue to exercise executive function but then they got to be really within an executive branch.
0: The other thing that, that I just have a bee in my bonnet about this, because I, like I say we did work on this issue when I was uh, at the agency, but we didn't work on it for custom blinds. We were talking about off-the-shelf product. Well, whenever you're dealing with an off-the-shelf product, you can put warning labels on things, but people may not read them. But here you're talking about custom window coverings these customers have to be minutely involved in the ordering process. They have to give you the dimensions of the blind, all these other sorts of things. So they are in an ideal position to both assess the potential hazard to children on a case by case basis. And they're in a wonderful position to receive effective safety warnings because they're going to directly be talking to somebody uh, in the ordering process. Or you might say, well, that a lot of this happens online these days. Well, you can still have somebody click through a window with a big warning about safety hazards to children or, you know, do not put these in a nursery or, you know, all different kinds of things. The CPSC seems to be saying that there's no way that a warning label can do the job here. And I just find that strange in the, at least in the custom blind category.
2: But also there's this little fact, too, it's not one of those products that's, you know, few and far between and kind of you really got a deal warning. By CPSC own estimate, there's 228 million of these in residential houses, and another 80 million. Uh, that's what the plaintiff in the case says in commercial ones. So, and they're uh, not going away anytime soon. No. So on average, there's literally one of these per person in America. Yeah. Not per, per person. And so to get all out, to get rid out of, of all of them, it's just uh, it's kind of nuts. But whether it's a good idea or bad, this is not the body that ought to do it, as long as it's structured the way it's structured. Right. And um, and where was that filed? Which So it's filed it's in the DC, DC circuit, circuit, but this is not the first time we filed a brief uh-huh. junction CPSC. So we're kind of fighting them all around the country. We fight fighting them in the Fifth Circuit, we're fighting them in the DC circuit. So we'll see um, wh- where we'll be successful. And,
0: and as Greg said, the DC circuit did grant WICMA's motion to stay the rule pending review and they set an expedited briefing schedule. Yes. So so Greg had to had to write this on very short Time frame, and I think the D.C. Circuit is has stood up and taken notice. I think it's safe to say. So we'll see what happens here.
1: That is, that is true. The stay is is good news, and we'll we'll see what they say. And and obviously, to get something like that out of the D.C. Circuit when they say no uh, for any reason at all has, would be a great win. It'd be a great
0: win. Now I don't think that the D.C. circuit's necessarily going to buy the Humphrey's executor argument. They'll so find some other basis to make. It get the this Welcome back to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth here with John Vecchioni. And uh, John, we've talked about the Harper v. Reddick case before. This is the case uh, that our colleague, uh, Rich Samp, uh, has, uh, has been pursuing in the District of New Hampshire. Uh, he, um, he got a nice victory uh, out of the First Circuit Court of Appeals uh, last year. And our, our other colleague, Shang Li, has been working on this, uh, this case as well. Uh, this is the case where our client, uh, James Harper, uh, ha- uh, had the IRS go to Coinbase, the cryptocurrency exchange where he had some cryptocurrency, and obtained his private financial records uh, without uh, you know, giving him any notice and without his, uh, his permission. And he wasn't the only one this happened to. He was one of thousands of victims of an extensive, unlawful IRS phishing expedition where they, they essentially made the assumption that anyone with cryptocurrency uh, was a potential tax cheat. That was, that was the, the, the broad assumption that they made in, in going forward here. Uh, but they did something else, which is that they issued this John Doe summons uh, to Coinbase. And we now know, uh, based on some of the rulings in this case, that it was Coinbase. And when, when we did the initial complaint, we had suggested it might have been one of two or three different uh, currency, ex- uh, cryptocurrency exchanges. Coinbase is the one that the IRS uh, has now confessed that, that that was involved here. And they, they issued the John Doe summons and uh, did not notify any of the account holders that they were doing this, which meant that they weren't able to uh, contest uh, the summons. So the IRS had uh, had said, look, this involves the collection of taxes, we don't have to defend this lawsuit. You just lose up front sort of was, was if I, to, to oversimplify slightly. And the first circuit last year said, no, 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 no. This doesn't involve the collection of taxes. Uh, for one thing, Mr. Harper claims that he's paid all of his taxes. For another thing, you're in the investigatory phase here. You don't, you're not in the collection phase. And so you can't just escape this, uh, this lawsuit uh, over the constitutional civil liberties that you have, it violated. So now we're back in the district of New Hampshire. There was a, a bit of a delay. And I'll just,
1: there is a law that says if they're trying to collect taxes, you can't go to court and stop them collecting it. If they say you owe a hundred pay up, you can't stop them in court. That's right. the, or you have to pay the money first. And right. And then, and then right. you can, so that's the important part do about it. Um, uh,
0: that's right. Uh, so, so now we're back in the district uh, of New Hampshire and the IRS is trying to dismiss the lawsuit again. So, uh, so Rich and Shang just filed a response to the IRS's, motion uh, to dismiss the lawsuit. And they argue that he has standing to, to bring the case, that there are statutory violations uh, that took place here, and his Fourth and Fifth Amendment uh, rights were violated by seizing his documents uh, without probable cause uh, or a warrant. Uh, and to get a warrant, they would have had to show that there was probable cause to believe he'd underreported his income or failed to pay uh, tax. Uh, and because they didn't give him a chance to contest that They also denied him procedural due process of law uh, under the Fifth uh, Amendment. So, uh, as we say, Coinbase turned over this massive trove of documents that included not only customer identification information, but also records of customer account activity and periodic statements of account. And what that means, John, is what the IRS could have done was gone to Coinbase and say, hey, we think that there's a whole bunch of people out there with cryptocurrency that aren't paying their taxes. Here's a John Doe summons. We want their names. We don't need any other information. We just want the names of your account holders. Now, we might have, there might be other reasons to object to that, but at least if they had done that, then uh, the IRS would have been in a position to say, look, we just got the names, and now we have issued uh, requests for documents from all of these individuals whose names we have, and now they have an opportunity to contest that subpoena uh, in a way that they didn't have with the John and, Doe. Uh, and the vast
1: summons. amount of them wouldn't contest it.
0: The vast number wouldn't contest it. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, and, uh, and, and some of them would, uh, as the Constitution permits them to do. So yet again, with the administrative state, what we see is this inveterate habit of shortcutting. And the IRS thinks that uh, it's the biggest dog on the block and it doesn't have to, to comply with the constitution. And so it just runs roughshod over people's civil liberties and, and was able to get something like 10,000 of these records. And by the way, John, I learned something in, in looking at this brief that I didn't realize previously, which is, I guess I thought that the IRS net was a net for 10,000 and that they'd gotten No, a... no, 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 no. The IRS asked for way more than that. Like hundreds of thousands of, of records and uh, and Coinbase was pushing back on that and in a, in, in a proceeding out uh, in, I believe it was in the uh, in the in a district court out in California or in the ninth circuit. Uh, I think it was in the district court. The district judges said, no, nee, no, 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 that's you're throwing too wide a net here. Let's, let's, let's cut it down. And I believe that that 10,000 was the number of people who had maybe over a certain dollar amount of cryptocurrency or something. There was some, Way that they were able to narrow uh, the request, but the IRS was asking for the moon and the stars, and the judge said, "No, you only get the moon." Uh, so there was, you know, there was there was a little bit uh, sort of more egregious behavior and, by the and IRS. If than hadn't, I even realized. And if
1: it hadn't been so burdensome on the com- company, they probably would have handed it all over.
0: They might well have. They might well have. Uh, and then they might have had a contractual problem with, with Mister Harper, but that's not our that's not our business. We're mm-hmm. concerned with government activity here, which, as I say, uh, was was egregious. So after they get these 10,000 records, they send a threatening form letter to Mr. Harper. By the way, the fact they sent him a threatening form letter tells you they had his name, they had his address, they could have not gotten the financial records from Coinbase, and they could have sent a letter to Mr. Harper saying, we want to find out whether you have one or more accounts containing uh, virtual currency and may not have properly reported your transactions involving, involving them. That's not what they did. Uh, And by the way, apparently the form letter that they sent suggesting that he had uh, unpaid taxes was was an empty threat sort of letter because it's been four and a half years. He's received no follow-up correspondence from the IRS, and their silence is unsurprising because uh, Harper's 2013 to 2015 tax returns properly reported his income from his uh, Coinbase cryptocurrency transactions. Something else, John, once they had those names... The IRS could have gone and done something interesting, like look at the IRS tax records for those individuals to see if they had paid their taxes
1: or reported it.
0: Or reported it, right? I mean, at that point, uh, you know, and, and it, look, they still might have looked at some and said, "Huh, that's kind of a suspiciously small number," or "Gosh, that doesn't look right for some reason," or "Or we asked for all the records of people." I mean, 20, probable cause. Over twenty-five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, they they could have they could have done that, and they they didn't uh, do that. So. Um, the Tax Reform Act of 1976 imposes several requirements the IRS has to fulfill before it can obtain documents from a third-party record keeper with a John Doe summons. And one of the issues in this case is that the IRS failed to satisfy those uh, prerequisites here. And the legislative history of the Act is such that it's, it's clear that Congress sought to limit the use of John Doe summonses to uncovering the identity of taxpayers, not to obtaining their financial records. So we think that's sort of problem. Number one uh, here, that there was that statutory violation. But but beyond those statutory shortcomings, IRS violated, and we've talked about this before. But IRS violated Mr. Harper's property interests and his liberty interests in the privacy of his uh, financial records because these were transe- transactions over a three-year period. By using a John Doe summons, IRS denied him the opportunity to to raise all of the objections that taxpayers can usually raise if they are involved in these proceedings. And so, for example, Mr. Harper could have said, uh, Your Honor, uh, I have a really strong interest in keeping my cryptocurrency private. I paid my taxes. Here's my proof of my, my holdings and here's my taxes. I don't want my records turned over to the IRS because someone might think if they catch word that the IRS is investigating my cryptocurrency that I have a lot of money in cryptocurrency. And where is that cryptocurrency kept? Typically, it's kept on your home computer. That's usually where your cryptocurrency is kept. So, if someone thinks that you have thousands of dollars in cryptocurrency, they would have an incentive potentially to break into your house and steal your computer, or break into your house and you know hold hold you at gunpoint until you you know, turn your cryptocurrency over to them I, or something I,
1: like that. I feel like the old Johnny Carson uh, skit where I did not know that. <laughs>
0: So there's, a, you know, there's, a, there's an actual physical safety interest that, that Mr. Harper uh, would have uh, here uh, as well. And that's not to say that he does possess uh, large amounts of, of cryptocurrency. I don't, I don't know that he does. And if he did, it was in this 13 to 15 period and may not any longer. So, uh, but the point is that he could have raised those objections to a court, and that's not something that was ever raised in the, in the matter that Coinbase uh, objected to. Um, so as I say, the first circuit unanimously ruled that Mr. Harper can take the IRS to federal court for gathering this private financial information, uh, about his use of a virtual currency and the district court of New Hampshire now has the case and they're the ones that are going to, to decide, uh, IRS's motion, uh, to dismiss. I think given, first of all, I think they're going to say that Mr. Harper has standing. I don't really think there's much doubt about that. Um, I think that they'd probably like to reach this statutory issue. Courts typically like to reach statutory issues uh, before they reach the constitutional issues. But I think of all the issues in the case, the statutory issues may be the ones that had the most airing already in the Coinbase, uh, in the Coinbase proceeding. It was really these Fourth Amendment uh, privacy uh, issues, the, the violation of the warrant requirement, the probable cause requirement, and then just the lack of due process of law. You have to give someone... Notice that you are going to be uh, trying to go after the, look, the fourth amendment says that your, that your papers and effects are, are safe from unreasonable search and seizure. This was an unreasonable search. It was too, too big. It didn't have probable cause. Uh, And then you tack onto that, the the fifth amendment problem of not giving him a hearing where he's able to contest that before his private materials are turned over uh, by Coinbase uh, to the federal government. And you have a real problem. Uh, on your hands. So as as uh, as Rich said uh, in this case, the, the Supreme Court has long held that the fundamental requirement of the constitutional right to due process of law is that the government may not deprive citizens of their liberty or property interests without providing them a hearing at which they can object to that deprivation. IRS violated that fundamental due process requirement in this case. It seized Mr. Harper's financial records without giving him a right to object or even letting him know what it was doing. That sort of conduct by the IRS has to stop, and I think the Harper case that gives us a good chance of, uh, at NCLA to repeat that. Thanks for joining us. And I'm going to sort of-